help me. Biological family, what am I doing here? So, yes. You know what I mean, y'all are in the same family there, right? People married together, having kids, there you go. Family, right? I forgot what that is. But I'm also going to talk about this. Like, we're going to talk about that, but we also know that people in different stages of life. So we're going to talk about those uh, within the importance of a family, but then also that of what does it mean to be the family of God. Because the way that this is set up is that um, we need to be a part of a family. All of us. Would you agree or disagree? We need to be a part of a family. We are not meant to be on our own, and we're not meant to be isolated. We're meant to be in community. We're meant to be a part of the family. God has designed uh, for the family to be the primary way uh, of love and the primary way of, of children learning about faith and the primary way of, of love being demonstrated, but also that fact that we have a church family, um, and that is also important. But I want to ask you a crazy question. What do you think the most essential thing is when you play basketball. Okay. Teamwork, that's your score. What? Dribble the ball up and down the court. I'm going to tell you, the most important thing in basketball is you better have a basketball. Because watch this. If you don't have a basketball, this looks really weird. If you don't have a basketball, you understand what I'm trying to do, but I didn't do anything. If you're doing this without a basketball, you're really not playing basketball, are you? True? I remember as a kid at one point in time, now I loved to play basketball. I was not good at it, but I loved to play. And so there'd be times that uh, we'd get together and play. And I remember, it's something that I love to do. And I remember at one point in time, I was ready to play basketball. And I was so excited about it. And I forgot where I was at. I don't know if it was a grandparent or somewhere else. And then I got out there. And as I got there, I was ready to play. And I went to get the ball. And what do you think about the ball? What do you think? I found the ball, but what do you think the problem was? It was flat. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? So you're all excited about it. And all of a sudden, you pick it up and you go, poof. And so you pick it up, and you're like going, and you're looking, you're looking, you're looking for the stinking needle, right? You're looking and looking, and it doesn't matter what. You can't find anything. And so you're desperate enough to sit there and say, I'm going to try anyway, right? And so you get out there, boom, you forget. You can't dribble it, so now you've got to walk the entire time, right? And then you get up there, and then you do this, and you shoot it. It is not the same. And even if you're in the groove and it goes through the hoop, you're so used to it. You go, like after a while, unless you're one of those, unless you're one of those kids that's just like going, I mean, you're, you're, you're absolutely in love with it. Like after a while, you're like going, this is not basketball, right? How many of y'all have been there? Well, church, I'm going to tell you right now that one of the essential things of family is that of love. If you don't have love within a family and choosing love, you almost kind of go through the motions of what goes on. It doesn't matter whether you have mom and dad there. If there's not love, the kids know it. Would you agree or disagree? You can have siblings, brothers and sisters. You can say, we're family. But if there's not love, you have a tendency to go, I don't ever want to see them. 
If there's not love, the holidays in this moment are supposed to be something that's beautiful and something that people get together. But I will tell you right now, there are probably some of us in this room that sit there and say, I don't look forward to the holidays because I really don't want to be around certain members of the family. Am I speaking too harshly or truth? We're going to end where we started this revival. Because the one thing that I want to encourage us is we'll talk about, we'll we'll briefly mention about roles and we'll mention about different things. But I'm going to tell you right now, church, the one thing that I have realized more than anything is that love has to be a part of family. It is the very thing that I have realized within the breakdown when I get to talk with people and I sit down in the midst of therapy sessions with different clients. One of the top things that I hear of often is that of there is no love. People have gotten distant or people didn't make effort towards each other. Or they ask the question, what was wrong with me that I couldn't be loved? These are the questions that I hear. I want us to go tonight to a familiar passage. If you've grown up in church or you've read the Bible, it's familiar. If you're not familiar with the Bible, this may be the first time you're hearing it. But I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, in context, Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. And so as he's talking to the Corinthians, the Corinthians is the most messed up church in the New Testament that we know about. It is the most messed up church in the New Testament. There are things taking place in the church that don't at all look like God. You have believers that are having quarrels with one another and they're suing each other. Is there something that needs to be fixed? Yes, there's something that needs to be fixed. And an injustice has happened. But Paul gets on them and says, can't you find somebody within the church to find justice? Yet you take your argument before pagan judges... When you're supposed to be people that love one another and to lift up Christ. Does justice need to be handled? You better believe it needs to be handled. But you're handling it the wrong way. And you are making a mockery of the name of Christ. Over and over as we read through this, we see a church that is really messed up in how they are loving each other. The wrong focus on the wrong things and not loving one another but as we get to 13 the interesting thing is is that this church also has been granted like every church spiritual gifts God gives every single person that's in Christ a spiritual gift in order to glorify him of something that we know that is not just natural of man but something that the Christian gets that God gives each spiritual gift in order to be used to edify the body to encourage it to build it up And that Christ would be known as we share the gospel and make disciples. But as we get to this point, we find out that yet again, the spiritual gifts have become the epitome of what's been important. In fact, many of them are talking about how awesome they are with their spiritual gifts. And they have totally lost Christ. We would never do things like that as a church, right? We would never, ever get the wrong things We wouldn't get that out of order, right? Is that too hard of a question to ask? Like, we always make sure that we keep the right things the right things.
I remember growing up in the 90s, as the church was going through different moments, that there started to be different styles of music that was being introduced. And I remember people being quite upset throughout, I'm not just talking like, I'm talking like throughout Christendom in the Western church of people being just really, really upset. My question, and this was me as a teenager, my question was this. If it's pointing to Jesus Christ, what's the problem? If it's pointing people to Jesus, what's the problem? Because if we read in Psalms 150, it tells us to praise God with everything. The cymbal, the timbrel, the trumpet, everything was called to give glory to God. But yet all of a sudden, there were people within the church that was making it about style instead of the content. Am I right or wrong? And churches would get pulled, people would be angry with each other, people would be mad with one another, people would say that this is not glorifying to God. But what do you mean not glorifying to God? If it spoke of Jesus and lifted up Jesus... Now, I will tell you this, now that I am closer to 50 than I am my teen years, I will admit, there is certain music that does not really tickle my ears. But I'm going to tell you right now, I guarantee in the next 20 years, there's going to be a style of music that comes out that I am going to absolutely cannot stand. You think? And I'm going to tell you right now, I hope, I hope, if it enters into the church and people are lifting up the name of Jesus in that music and there are, there are young people that are praising God and coming to know him, I hope I'm in the front row worshiping the also and not sitting going, oh, it's just not my cup of tea. Because if it lifts up Jesus, isn't that the most important thing? Here we have the Corinthians and they have fallen in love with their gifts. Fallen in love with the gift of tongues. And they've fallen in love with the gift of healing. And they've fallen in love with all these gifts. And yet how they treated one another was horrible. Listen to what it says here in chapter 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I gave away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Think about this, church. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... Like something that's amazing. People that would be amazed by this. And I have not love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I think what I'm saying is beautiful. But if I have not love. It's like a crazy fire alarm going off. And it makes no sense. If I have prophetic powers. And I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith. I could move mountains, but I have not love. I am nothing. 
if I could do all the miracles of the world, if I could do all these things and heal people, and if I could do this and speak prophet, pro- prophetic words, if I could do all this, but I have not love, it's nothing. If I can move a mountain right now, I mean, how many of y'all think that'd be pretty cool? If I have not love, I'll drop that mountain on somebody's head. I won't place it to where it's a benefit for everybody. If I have not love, I will sit there and say, watch what I'll do. And I'll get rid of my enemy because he has said the wrong thing that I don't like. I'll smash him with my faith. If I give away all I have, think about this. If I were to give away all I have or deliver up my body to be burned, like like people are saying, oh, Sean, Sean's amazing, Sean's amazing, and I get to be persecuted and burned alive as other brethren earlier before us, and some even nowadays in certain countries, persecuted for Christ. But I have not love, I gain nothing. In other words, if I have not love and I'm persecuted for the faith and everybody says, oh, look at Sean, look at Sean, it's amazing. He's being persecuted for the faith. But if I have not love, I just got a faster ticket to hell. What do you think about that? Church, I think this is again where we talked about it Sunday and where we go now. If we have not love, it doesn't matter the moral things that you're doing. Morality, without being moved by God's love and loving others, we've missed the whole point of Christianity. Because God is love. Love has boundaries. Love just doesn't mean, oh, I love you and I love you and I'll never say anything to you because I love you. No, Jesus has love, but he called people out. Amen? God loved people enough to sit there and say, you're out of bounds. Come back home. You're out of bounds. This is wrong. This is not of God. This is the wrong thing. You are wrong. And I love you enough to tell you, come back to me. That is love. Not, I love you, do whatever you want. That's not love. That's the opposite of love. Listen to what this says. Love is patient and kind. Love is patient and kind. Now, I'm going to start tonight. I'm going to start with husbands. I want you to think about it for a moment. Your family. If you are a husband here tonight, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about your family. Think for a moment with me. Ask God to really help you to be open to hear this. Are you patient with your wife? Do you show patience in the moment with her? Or are you like going, I already said we need to get this done. Come on, let's get going, let's get going. Come on, let's go. Are you patient? Do you have the patience in this moment when she's not doing what you think she should be doing to actually be patient? Well, Sean, you don't know my wife. Well, here's what I'll tell you. But God knows you and he's patient with you, so what's the problem? Are you kind? Are you kind to your wife? Husbands, if you're fathers, I'll ask the question, are you patient with your children? Are you kind to them? Love does not envy or boast. 
it's interesting because at times I will, I, I've talked to fathers and they'll be like going, you know, I hate to say this, but I'm envious because the kids just want to be around mom. And I don't understand why they don't want to be around me. Well, first of all, I'll ask you, are you patient and kind? But then the other thing is this. If your kids love your bride, can't you be happy for her? Why does it have to be that something's wrong with you? Can you not celebrate what's going on? If you're so insecure that your love has to be about you instead of what's going on, I promise you, God will take care of your kids. My kids hurt my feelings so much growing up. They never wanted anything to do with me growing up. They were all about mom, 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 mom. I did not handle that real well because I was not very mature. And I was envious and jealous. But I realized something. My wife did something. I love her, and she ticks me off all at the same time. Right? My wife would sit there, and there would be moments, and I'd be like going, I just don't understand why the kids won't spend, they were little, why they won't spend time with me. And she's like, honey, they love you. They love you. And I'm like, I know. I just, mm. And yet in the next moment when they started hanging out with me, my wife was like going, oh, this is so exciting. Isn't it exciting that they're hanging out with you? And I'm like going, quit rubbing it in. Like I couldn't be happy. She could be happy for me, but I couldn't be happy for her. Am, am I the only person that went through this? Is there any other dads that got jealous about that? Am I the only one? All right, you go both ways? Watch well, this. Right? They, sometimes they go for dad and not mom, right? Hey, here's the good news, though. Envy never caused a problem, right? Envy's not a big deal, right? Envy's not a big deal. It's not like, you know, Joseph's brothers were envious of him and, you know, wanted to kill him, sold him into slavery. Like, envy doesn't cause a problem. I'm telling you right now, if you have envy in your life, husband, father, you need to repent quickly. You don't love. You're missing what God's calling us to do. Or boast. It is not arrogant. I know the right thing to do. I know the right thing to do. You ever look at your wife and sit there and say, I know the right thing to do. Woman, submit. Now watch this. I'll tell you, this may be controversial. I, I, it, it's something I won't get into, but, but I believe the Bible when it talks about submission. I really do. I just think that I've seen it done wrong most of my life. But I believe in that God calls it to submit. I really do. But I will say this. If you think that submission means that you're right, husband, you have missed the whole point of what that means. Because the Bible tells you to love your wife like Jesus loved you. Like Jesus loved the church. Arrogance is not, I'm always right. If you can't be wrong, if you haven't apologized to your wife and kids, I'm going to really challenge you. Why not? Because you know you're wrong. Are you afraid of looking weak? Are you afraid of looking... I'm telling you right now. Why have you not said you're sorry? Can you be wrong and be okay with it? It's not arrogant or rude. It's not rude. Do you look at what's going on and say this? That's not even what I wanted to eat tonight. No one's ever said that, right? Have you, have you noticed that your wife does not have to feed you? 
You're a grown man. Right? <laughs> There's something about recognizing in this moment that you become very appreciative of what's been put before you out of a service of love. My wife ended up challenging us as a husband and as, my ch- as, as our children that my wife has, again, she's not perfect, but I really appreciate the Jesus that lives inside of her. And I've watched my wife so many times, and there was for a while she would, she would fix things for us. And for whatever reason, the kids and I, she would make something, we were like going, oh. One night we went, oh, one too many times, and she goes, I made it. You're going to eat it. You're going to be appreciative. I am tired of y'all complaining about everything that goes on. You need to be thankful. I don't care if she puts a lettuce leaf in front of me. I'm like, this is awesome, honey. You've done hard work. This is the best thing ever. And I'm not doing it out of fear. I'm doing it out of the reminder of I'm choosing to love what she's done. Because love is not an emotion. Love is a choice. What do you think when I say that? Why can I say that? We've gotten it all messed up. We've watched too many Hallmark Channel movies. We've watched too many things of movies that's gone on. We think that love is about this ooey-gooey emotion. Let me tell you something. Jesus did not have an ooey-gooey emotion when he chose to love his enemies. And you were one of them and I was. It was a choice to choose to love. It had nothing to do with feeling. Does love have emotion? It has an emotional component. But love is not emotion purely. It's choice. It's choosing. Wife, I'm going to ask you a question. Are you patient? I have to tell him one more time to take the garbage out. I'm so deep. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have it figured out. I'm saying this. If you don't watch it, it's no longer about working together. You sit in the superior point of saying he's stupid. Right or wrong? Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Arrogant. Are you always right? But watch this. Just as much as a husband or a father can think he's always right, there are wives that do the same thing, correct? Every decision, and I've watched this before, I have watched husbands that all of a sudden began to say, I'm going to try to step up. I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to try to figure it out. I'm going to try to step into this role and try to do my best to actually lead my family and love my wife and love my children. And the first time he steps up, she goes, well, that was bad. I tell you what, you tried to mop the floors, but you streaked it here and you left it here and this was bad. You didn't empty the mop bucket. You didn't do this and you didn't do that. You might as well have not even helped. Let me share with you. Don't expect him to lead. Now watch this. He should lead regardless of what you do because he's got a choice to love Jesus. But I'm going to tell you right now. Wives, if you're going to take a moment and not be kind and patient and try to, that both working together in that moment... You're sabotaging. You've missed the whole point. Well, Sean, you don't understand. Don't argue with me. Take it up with Jesus. Has he loved you? How patient has he been? How kind has he been? 
well, Sean, I'm not Jesus. I hate that excuse. That is the most satanic answer I've ever heard in my entire life. Sean, I'm not Jesus. If you're in Christ, he died, buried, rose again, and promised to give you the Holy Spirit, which means God lives within you. If you're telling him you're not willing to change, you're blaspheming about the very fact that God said, I have made you a new creation. I'm not Jesus. That's smacking God in the face and telling him, it's my way. Just give me, the, just give me heaven. The rest of it will be on me. You don't have Jesus then. Or let me say this. Since I don't get to judge salvation, that's not the salvation I read in my Bible. Hey, there's a few teenagers in here. Love is patient. Love is kind. Mom! I don't understand why I don't get to ever do anything. You don't understand me. True or false? Does not boast, is not arrogant or rude. How many of y'all have ever been rude to your parents? Michael, you don't have to give me any stories tonight, okay? By the grace of God. How many of y'all have siblings? Hopefully if you've gotten older, maybe things have changed, but sometimes it doesn't. Are you rude to them? I love this between our kids. They have both agreed that we have a dog and that they're both, it's their dog. We made the agreement before we got him. Nico is going to be your dog. He's not Dana's and mine. He's your dog, which means if he's got to go out at 3 a.m., guess who's taking him out? Guess who's going to feed him? Guess who's going to water him? He's your dog. Oh, we love him. We're going to take him. We'll do it. We're going to work together. It's going to be the greatest thing ever, Dad. It's going to be awesome. All right, it's the schedule. It's Tuesday night. All right, Tuesday. We switch over on Wednesday. Who's going to take him? I'm not taking him. I'm too busy. I'm talking right now. I'm doing something. Okay, the dog's got to go. I'm not doing it. And then one of the children sits there and goes, but it's your turn. I'm not doing it. I don't have time right now. I've got to do this. Well, you've got to do it. I'm sick and tired of like... Have you noticed that there's no love? And once this, and we make the excuse like this, well, that's just siblings. Church, if we start making excuses, and I get it, I understand, but what I'm telling you is this, there's some things we make excuses for instead of actually saying, how do we go to Jesus to become more like him? Because if we let that slide, what else do we let slide? True? Think about this. It does not insist on its own way. Love does not insist on its own way. I'm going to ask you a question. Some of you in here right now, your family, they may be farther away. But as a church family, we're called to lean into each other, love one another, care for one another. Do you insist on your own way? This is the way it has to be. I'm not coming to church unless this is what it is. If you don't do it this way, you, you insist on your own way. 
That's not love. Can you have questions? Absolutely. Should you ask questions? Should we sharpen one another? Absolutely. But if you insist that it always has to be your way, you're not as holy as you think. You're not as godly as you think. It is not irritable or resentful. These two are very interesting. Fathers, when you come home, you come home from work. It's just been a long day. It's just been a long day. I get it that we all have bad days. But I'm going to share with you right now. Your family, just in this idea of work, your family didn't cause that problem. You're choosing to let the job be more important than what God's doing in your family. Right now, there are times that we've missed out on our kids being able to embrace them and love them and tell them that they matter. But we've walked in making it about us. So we've been irritable. We've been short. We've snapped at them. We've taught them in that moment. And I get it. Again, there's grace to be had. None of us are perfect, right? That's why I'm thankful that there's grace. But church, I'm telling you, so many times that we walk in irritable, we walk in so agitated about everything that people receive the blunt, uh, uh, the brunt of stuff that they're not supposed to. True? My poor bride, when I didn't understand how to do the beginning of ministry, I was trying to take care of everybody else's needs. And I would walk in, in the beginning of my ministry, and I'd walk in, I, I, I got to take care of everybody's needs. I got to be here, I got to be there, I got to make sure this is going on. I got to do this. Basically, I thought I had to be their Jesus. And I would come in, and I would give Dana nothing. I would just sit down and zone out. And my bride was very patient. And she looked at me after a while of doing this. She was really patient for a long time. And she looked at me and she goes, she wasn't accusing, but she said, I'm just asking a question. She goes, I'm trying to figure out how come everybody gets the best parts of you and I don't get much of anything. It wasn't accusatory. She's asking a question. You know what I realized in that moment? I wasn't being near as godly as I thought I was. I had to change things. I realized I wasn't people's Jesus. I could love people. I could serve people. But after a while, there were moments I had to say, I can be with you at 3 a.m. at certain times. I can be there, Johnny, on the spot. But there's other times I have to lovingly tell you, i got to make sure that my family's good. This is not the crisis you think it is, but there's a church family that can be there to support. Again, I could be there at 3 a.m. in the morning. was several times. There's other times I had to look at people and say, I love you enough to let you know that I can't, I can't fix this. It helped me that my bride reminded me that there was a balance on things because I come in really irritable. We don't really think about that. Like we give permission for irritability, right? Like it's just a bad day. That's why we get to do it. We don't realize that in some ways it can be sin or resentful. We don't even have to discuss that one, right? Because no one has that one. Husbands and wives get mad at each other because there's been something that's happened. They, don't, they have a hard time working out. They become resentful towards one another. How do I know this? Because all of a sudden, as soon as the fight happens, whatever happened five months ago or six months ago, it gets right back brought up in the face. Even when you've not even had an argument about it, one of the people or both bring it right back up. 
You know what? I'm going to tell you right now. We all struggle with that. Amen? We better learn to learn how to forgive the way that Christ forgave us. Because to continue to bring up somebody's past, let me share with you, that ain't Jesus. That's more of the enemy's tactic. He's the accuser. Now, sharpening one another, we should sharpen one another. But sharpening is different than resentment. Sharpening in this moment is going, I know that I have issues. I know that you have this. Let's go to God together. Let's figure out how to fight for each other instead of just with each other. And let's go to God together. But if your pride gets in the way and you're always right, you'll always make it about it's their fault. It's their problem, not mine. If they would figure it out, then everything would be great. But we don't take responsibility on our own. We're resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Sometimes we can be so mad at someone. Sometimes we can be so frustrated. Siblings do this really well. Right? Their sibling gets in trouble for something. They're like going... <laughs> Because what they're celebrating in the moment is that they got busted, but they don't realize that the very act that they did, if it was wrong, why are they celebrating that? They're more worried about the fact that they get to gloat over somebody than they are that their sibling actually did. They should have been more of like going, man, I can't believe you did that, but how can I be there? How can I love you? But we do that with each other. Husbands do that. Wives do that. Even within the church, sometimes we don't even realize it, but we celebrate wrongdoing. Because we get elevated of, see how good I am? That's not love. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love bears all things. Now, let me share with you. This is not saying that somebody gets to always walk over me and I just have to take it. Because there are moments that Jesus did stand up. And there are times when Jesus set boundaries with people. There are other times when Jesus got taken advantage of. But he knew the wisdom, because he's God in flesh, to know when and where to do what. I don't know that, but the Jesus who lives inside of me does. We bear with people. Instead of being so quick to write people off and see so quick to be angry about how they've wronged us, to all of a sudden be able to go, you know what, God, I'm going to believe that you're at work in their life. You know the reason why we give up on people? Why do you think we give up on people? Feel like they're not going to change, right? Absolutely. Feel like they're not going to change. And if they're not going to change, then what's the whole point of this? If they're not going to change, what's the whole point? And so we make a decision. They're not going to change. And so what's the point? And so I'm not going to get hurt again. I'm going to put up a wall. This is not going to happen. And I'm going to share with you right now. I don't know if they're ever going to change or not. But here's what I do know. I know that God can change all people. My hope isn't in what they're doing. My hope is in who God is. And so there are times as I set boundaries with people, but I also, I don't give up on anybody because I know that Jesus can save everybody. But if you start to all of a sudden and you, you love bears all things, again, I'm not saying that if, I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm not saying that if you're getting beat, 
that you have to sit there and say, I'm just going to bear all things and they're just going to keep doing I'm not talking. I'm talking about as we look at things in the right context. And sometimes we look at things and we say this, I'm going to be less quick to pass judgment of saying they'll never change and begin to say, God, I know that you're behind the scenes working. I believe it. It believes all things. It trusts all things. All things, all things that Jesus can do. All things that God is at work in. When we have that type of hope, it sometimes allows us to take a wrong against us and we begin to say this, Father, forgive them. They may not even know what they're doing, but Lord, forgive them. Church, it would be really good at times as a congregation if we practice such things. We sometimes look at each other and we begin to say this, they're not going to change. They have wronged me. They're not doing the right thing. We get so quick on this instead of being able to go, one, have you talked to them? Before you've talked to them, have you prayed for them? Three, do you believe that God is at work in their life or have you already passed judgment? They're beyond saving. They're always going to be like that. That is not love. Some people won't change, right? Can we get honest? Some people won't change, but you and I don't get to pronounce that judgment. That's God's business. Ours is to trust him and love the way that he has loved us. And so I'm going to ask a question as we go through this. Read it one more time. I want you to think for yourself. As a husband, as a wife, as a child, congregation member in the family that you are a part of no one is here isolated no one is here alone unless that's what you choose everybody is a part of the family of God if you are in Christ love is patient and kind love does not envy or boast it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Tonight, as family or church, if there is someone that you have a beef with, or someone that you have wronged, dads, I'm going to say something really crazy. Maybe you do this, maybe you don't. If you've wronged your child, whether they're here tonight, whether they're a grown adult, you've wronged them, and you've not apologized, I'm going to challenge you tonight that you would go to them and tell them, I'm sorry. That is not a weakness, that is a strength. That is not a moment of going, well, my dad never did. Don't, 
you can honor your father, but just because he didn't do it didn't mean he was right. God calls us to apologize. Wives, if there is something that you've harbored against your husband, that you have been on him over and over and you've harbored, tonight, will you first go to God and repent and confess it? Maybe you don't need to say anything to your husband tonight. Maybe you just need to show him. If you're a child tonight, you've been rude to your parents. You have been irritable. You have been insisting on your own way. Tonight, if you're in Jesus Christ, will you go to God and say, God, I am sorry. I have not done what you've called me to do. Church, tonight, if you've been boastful in ways, or if you've not bared with somebody and you've kind of written them off, in this congregation, whether they're here tonight or not, Will you go before God and admit, Father, I am wrong. You have bared with me and I have not bared with others. Father, forgive me. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to believe that you're at work in their life and that I can trust you. And tonight, if you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship, you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to challenge you. I don't want you to love others. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I don't want you to start loving others because you will get arrogant and boastful and be prideful about, look how well I love people and think that you're okay. God's not asking you to do better. God's asking you to trust him and die to self. You need a savior before you need outward action. You can't save yourself by choosing to love others. You can only say, God, I need to receive the love that you've given. I need the sacrifice that Jesus gave to show me love. I need to accept his love and forgiveness before I ever try to love somebody else. And that if you would give your life to Jesus Christ and believe in his death and his bloodshed for your sinfulness and his resurrection to forgive you and justify you, then after you have received the Lord Jesus Christ, then you love not because you have to, you love because you have been loved first. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you tonight, Lord, I know that tonight is a different way of doing things. But Lord, I pray tonight that what you would do is what you have been doing is to continue to be at work in people's lives. Lord, I pray tonight that you would speak to each one of us where we are out of line. Father, please help us to quit looking at other people and how they don't love. Lord, we ask tonight that you would just shine your light upon us in all the dark spots and begin to show us where we have not loved, where we have been arrogant, where we have been rude. Father, help us to not look at other people and point the finger of how we've been hurt. It's important, God, and you want us to be able to see those things. But Lord, you want us to start with us tonight. Lord, may we start with us before we bring up the hurts of others. Lord, I pray tonight that if anybody needs to go to someone tonight, that their altar call would not be coming forward, but Lord, it would be to go to the other person, to put an arm around them and begin to say, I've sinned against you. Lord, I pray that they would not be embarrassed or feel cowardly or feel weak. Lord, I pray in this moment that they would be waiting for you to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Father, I pray tonight that families, we would not celebrate 25th anniversaries, 35th anniversaries, 50th anniversaries with couples that don't love each other. 
Lord, that we would not celebrate this outward sense of making it together for 50 years when they really don't even like each other. Lord, that we would not look at moments of siblings and that they don't love each other. Father, that we would not talk about being a church and coming to worship when we don't love each other. It's a flat basketball that makes no sense in how to play the game. Father, work within our lives. Really work within our lives, Lord God, that you bring about your conviction, not mine, but your conviction, Lord God, that we would repent, we would confess, and we would be about the action of loving and not the feeling of loving. We love you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said,